Greetings and welcome to the Upward Call. We're on Upward Call number 12, which is called Agree in the Lord. I'm Eric Newcomer, and I welcome you to us uh, to be with us here today. I'm with White's Run Baptist Church, and we are preaching through the book of Philippians. Uh, this is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 4 today. So join me there if you have a copy of the scriptures. If not, we have notes online that are hyperlinked to the Bible that will help you to uh, be able to use this uh, either on your phone or on your computer, whatever's most convenient for you. You can just listen along. We'll be reading the most pertinent scriptures. Uh, today in the Upward Call, I want to remind you that the Upward Call of God is to be like Jesus Christ. And so this sermon series is focused on those kind of mindsets and the kind of activity that lead someone and help someone in their journey in this upward call so that we can become more Christ-like and that we can help others to do the same. Today, what we're going to see is that the upward call is a call to move toward Christ together, being of one mind, united in the body of Christ, which is the church. And so this will be a great opportunity for us to come together and to see what it means to be unified in the church and the, the power that this has to really help us all move forward in this upward call of God. So I want to begin by showing you the passage that we're going to deal with today. Here in uh, Philippians, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. And apparently there was some division in the church, some difficulty in the church that Paul was addressing in this letter. And part of that difficulty was a disunity of sorts. Now, he, he directly addresses that in these verses that we see in chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. But there are several indicators in the letter itself that Paul was very concerned about unity in this church. And although this is the only place that he directly addresses a specific situation in that church, we can tell by the design of the entire letter that this was a central issue to him in writing to them. Here's how we know this. First of all, there's this passage in chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. There's also a passage commanding uh, that they be of one mind in the beginning of chapter 2. And we talked about that mind being the mind of Christ. And then there's the recurring use of the idea of being of the same mind or like-minded or sharing the same life. And that is in, in your notes. I'll have references to that for you. But the biggest sign that we'll see today is this, that there is a use of a prefix in the word, uh, in the words in Greek. And this little prefix is the word pronounced soon. And it means simply with. But when it's attached to a word, which is done throughout the letter, uh, we'll see it's used 15 times in this letter in this way when it's attached to another word. Paul uses it to indicate togetherness. In other words, for most of the words, it modifies them to mean to do something together. And this occurs throughout the the letter, let me throw a few at you very quickly. You'll find them all in the notes. You don't need to worry about trying to remember them, but uh, it's used in words like partakers, that we are fellow partakers, that we are striving side by side in full accord. It's used twice to prefix rejoice, that we would rejoice together. 
it use it's used in the word fellow worker in the word fellow soldier it's used in becoming like Christ in his death and our bodies becoming like his in our perfection we talked about in chapter 3 it's used when Paul encourages people to imitate him as far as he imitates Christ it's used in the word companion it's used to mean to help or to labor side by side these three are in the passage we're looking at and also in the passage we're looking at fellow workers and then finally, it's used toward the end of the letter in which the people of Philippi shared in Paul's trouble. So this, this idea of attaching this little word to, the, uh, uh, to a, a larger word and giving it this meaning is used throughout the, the letter. So here's a summary. You know, We have the two specific passages we spoke about, one of which will be in detail today. We talk about the unified mind or life, but then we use we see the prefix of son or soon used very often in this letter, uh, so much so that it's very clear that Paul is trying to get this message across that they are to be united with each other. So what I want to do is I want to read the verses uh, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, and I want you to see the emphasis in unity, the emphasis on unity. So let's go to the scriptures together. Here's what it says. It says, I entreat you, Odea, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity to learn through this great letter together. Lord, we pray this day that you will give us understanding of these things, for it is taught that the scriptures are to be spiritually discerned, that without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will not understand these things, nor will we even desire these things. But we pray, Lord, that you'll give us the great desire to understand and you'll give us the ability to understand by your great spirit, which dwells all those whom you have called to yourself, for which we praise you for this great salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, there we have the uh, scriptures there, which are very helpful in in showing us uh, these wonderful things. So in chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, we can see an emphasis in the concept of of unity. Now, first of all, there are several words that point to this in that passage. The word agree, in which he says, um, I entreat these two ladies, Euodia and Suntuke, and it's difficult to say in English, but that's the best I'm going to do. And he entreats them, that is, he asks them uh, strongly, strongly encourages them to agree in the Lord. The next word that calls this idea of unity to attention is companion because he turns also and he says, yes, I ask you also true companion. 
And scholars will debate, is he speaking of a particular person here, because it is in the singular, or is he speaking of anyone who would consider himself a true companion of Paul to join in helping these women? Um, I don't know, but I would have to say it's very clear that he addresses in this way, that he asked for help in doing this, that it would certainly grab the leader's attention and those around these women that knew them to say, Paul is asking for help in these two women agreeing in the Lord. And so it's very clear that he's asking for the the church there at Philippi to work together to come alongside these women and help them. And again, that word help is prefixed with this little word soon, which means together, help together these women. And then it reminds them that they had labored side by side with Paul and Clement and others. And then he calls uh, the these all that helped fellow workers. And so all of these words in one way or another take these two short verses in, in verses two and three and bring them together to this very strong sense of unity that Paul is really stressing that they need to come together on this. Well, when we have disagreements, what do we do? When we have disagreements, where we begin is what it is that we have in common. And this is very common in diplomacy in the world. As as, uh, world leaders come together, they can be from very different uh, cultures, from very different backgrounds, different economic systems, all these things. And yet, when they come together, they begin with what they have in common. They have some kind of a common interest. Even if sometimes it's a common enemy, nevertheless, they have something in common and where is a starting place to begin. Well, in the church and with believers, we have a great deal in common. And the commonality can be summed up in a singular commonality, and that is a common Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is mentioned in this, in verse 2, he entreats them, he asks them, he encourages them strongly to agree in the Lord. And so he is going to be the basis of this agreement. He's going to be the center of this agreement. They're going to meet there. And this phrase, to agree in the Lord, literally means um, toward the same mind in the Lord. The King James Version puts verse 2 like this, which I think is very helpful. I beseech Euodias and I beseech Suntuke that they be of the same mind in the Lord, to be of the same mind. And I think that's a slightly better translation because it brings forth this idea of the same mind, which is something that we saw back there in chapter 2 and something that has been reiterated uh, throughout. And this would be the mind of Christ as we know it. Look what it says back there in chapter 2. He says to the church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he says it twice in the same verse, really giving emphasis to this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. This is the mind that he's talking about. It's the mind of humility. It is as he goes on to show us in the following verses there in chapter two, This is the mind of Christ. This is our meeting place, our commonality, the common Lord. 
And this is powerfully important. This is an emphasis in the letters, uh, this unity among believers. And the basis of this unity is always the Lord Jesus Christ, our common faith in him, the common salvation in which we stand because of him, the common bond of fellowship in the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, our common Lord, is the common commonality among all these things. We can look to John chapter 17 when Jesus Christ prays for his disciples on the night that he was taken and he was betrayed. He prays not only for the disciples around him at that moment, but he prayed for you and I. And one of the major emphases of that prayer is that we would be unified. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins, our sins. And if we are in conflict with one another, it is probably sinful. In fact, it's undoubtedly there's sin involved somehow. One or both parties in the disagreement, and likely it's both, are guilty of some level of sin, even if it's just resisting in pride. You could have, hold the right ground. You could be right on the issue, and you could still be sinning in a disagreement within the context of the church because for prideful reasons, you have failed to hear the other one out or you have failed to reconcile when it was possible. You have failed to pray over the issue. Uh, whatever it might be, both parties generally have some responsibility in almost any disagreement. Understand Jesus Christ bore that conflict in his body on the cross, taking our place. Those of us in the conflict we deserved the cross, but he took it in our place that we could be saved and that we could know him. Therefore, they are told to agree in the Lord. And that is the truth together there in the Lord. And there is resolution and reconciliation there in the Lord because the Lord is not divided. One, of, one or both of the parties is going to be wrong, and it must be that each party considers that they might be wrong, and they turn toward Jesus Christ who find out, and they be prepared to repent if any wrong be found in them. Each party must search the scriptures to find the principle that can resolve the issue, to find the truth that is there, because it is our truth. But this can't always be done one-on-one. -on -one. And that's why Paul appeals to others in the congregation. That brings us to the second point over there on our, on our PowerPoint, is the common fellowship, the church. The common fellowship in the church. He says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. And this uh, phrase, true companion, is literally true yoke fellow. It would be used of two animals yoked together, that they are yoke fellows, that they're pulling the same burden, that it is distributed to both of them equally. And indeed, this is a, a true picture of those of us in Christ, in the body together. Now, this is a general appeal, but Paul's also making, I believe, a specific appeal. The leaders should pick up on this. Because the leaders of the church at Philippi, they're responsible for the flock. They should be paying attention to this. The church order here is critical. 
these women are obviously important or else this disagreement would not need to be addressed by the apostle. He has bigger things to do, so to speak. And he addresses this because he feels it is a threat to the church as a whole. So these were important people. Maybe they were some of the founders. Maybe they were there at Lydia's home when Paul and the others first went there in Acts chapter 17. But nevertheless, as influential as they might be, perhaps even more influential than the male leadership in the church. And I think most male leadership in church will recognize, yeah, that's true. Even though the, the women may not hold the title of elder or pastor or, uh, or deacon in some churches, they hold the reins of the ministry and they are key to all the labor that is done and they are important. And if there is a disunity there, there is a disunity throughout the whole body. So it cannot be ignored. He's counting on these many encouragements that, that regard submitting to leadership. He needs to get the leadership involved. And here's why, because it's very obvious that leadership in the church is to be submitted to. It is to be honored. Uh, look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And in our world today and in our materialistic world, we look at leadership as something to be envied, something to be pursued or sought. Uh, in the church, it is a role of service. And in the church, it is a role of accountability, that leaders would be held to a higher accountability, that there are no privileges of leadership except to serve to a greater extent. That is the privilege of leadership in the church. And he calls upon the congregation and by implication, the leaders to join in helping these women to bring unity because the health of the congregation so utterly depends upon it. And so there's a common Lord, there's a common fellowship, and there's a common labor that uh, Paul appeals to as well. If we look at verse three there, he says, um, I'm in the wrong chapter even, uh, in Philippians 4, 3. Let me take us there real quick. He says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So these women were familiar to Paul. They knew Paul because they labored alongside, side by side, labored side by side. Again, that's another prefixed word. Not just with Paul, but with Clement, who I assume is probably still there. So Paul's actually calling him out by name because he would know these women. He's worked with these women and the rest of his fellow workers. And so it's critically important that these people come together in unity. And he appeals then to the congregation as a whole. He appeals to their common fellowship. He appeals to their common labor. By doing this, Paul draws their attention back to what the main thing is. The main thing for any church the church at Philippi, the church where you attend, our church here at White's Run. The main thing is the gospel and the work of the gospel, getting the good news to people. That is our primary mission, to continue the work of Jesus Christ, of building the kingdom by making disciples. And so this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
by calling their attention to this. He is taking whatever their disagreement is, and he is kind of putting it in perspective. I don't know what they were disagreeing about. It could have been something important like where they ought to go on their next mission trip or how they ought to serve people locally or or how they ought to be sharing the gospel. It could have been something minor like the color of the carpet or the type of sandwich they serve at their vacation Bible school. Now, I don't think they had vacation Bible school at that point, but nevertheless, you're getting the picture. And I think it's helping you put this in perspective as well because Paul brings up the gospel And we know the main thing is the gospel. When we read the opening of the book of Romans in chapter 1, the gospel is one of the main words there that Paul uses, and he keeps coming back to it. He's he's anxious to preach it to the people at Rome, and he wants to tell them about it. Indeed, the rest of the book of Romans is pretty much his large presentation of the gospel. The gospel is center in the life of the church, and it has to be the priority, and everything else needs to fall in line behind it. So Paul brings this up at this critical moment by saying, you know, I want you to speak to these women. I want you to help them to get along and to agree in the Lord. After all, they labored side by side with us in the gospel. And that's the main thing. Let's get back to it. Let's remember what we did and let's get back to it, he seems to be saying with this. And so they have this common labor of the gospel. They also have a common destiny, and this is really beautiful that Paul would work this in, and he works it in so subtly. I want to show it to you. If we look in uh, verse 3 there, he says, you know, they labored side by side with me in the gospel and with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life whose names are in the book of life. The common destiny of every believer is life itself. In fact, we share that life now. We were dead, and indeed, without Jesus Christ, before he intervenes in our lives, all of us are dead. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But we were made alive together. There's another one in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says we were made alive together with Christ. It is once again this emphasis of this having happened to us together as a fellowship, as a church, made alive together with him. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Lamb's book of life accounts all the believers of all history, of all places, who will end up in the new heaven and new earth forever with Jesus Christ. These are the people of life. These are the ones who will be together forever. And if indeed you and I are going to be together forever, we should probably just go ahead and get along. And we should focus on that. It should draw our attention down the road, so to speak. You know, what it is that we have to do. We have to labor in the gospel. And where is it that we are going? We're we're in life and we're going ahead to more and more of it. We will live more and more as we grow in Christ, and one day we will experience life to its fullest when we are perfected in Him. So these are powerful truths that Paul is laying out here for us. Something else is a common life, but there's also a common joy that comes from that life. Look at verse 4 here. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, that verse is often pulled out of this letter and used all by itself. And I'm telling you, all by itself, it's a beautiful and wonderful verse. But 
The question is, what is it doing here? Why does it follow this admonition to these two ladies to to agree in the Lord and this this command to the others to help them? Well, it comes with that because he is actually telling us how to get along in the Lord. Paul just doesn't leave it at, hey, get along. Stop that. He's actually showing us how by diverting our attention to what is most important. If indeed we are aware of the fact that we are co-laborers in the most glorious occupation there is on the planet, reconciling people to God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if we recognize that our destiny is wrapped up in Him by our names being written in the Lamb's book of life, to spend eternity with Him, living life to the full, then we have nothing to do but rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says always, and he says it again and again, I say rejoice. And indeed, a whole sermon on rejoicing will follow because it is a key word in this letter. And there's much more to say about it, more than we can say today, except this, we have a common joy and that is in the Lord always. And so that's part of our common ground that we have. Another part of the common ground is common advocate, because he goes on to say in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. He's still telling us how we all ought to get along, how we agree in the Lord, and how we help others to agree in the Lord. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's what I want you to understand is, is when we are anxious is when we're most likely to go off at one another. And hands that are lifted in the air in joy and praise of our Father are less likely to form a fist and come down on someone because we really have things in perspective in that moment. And if we do find things that we're anxious about and our focus is turned from praising the Lord and from focusing on Him always and we see things around us going on, the world going into chaos and the difficulties within the church and the, the people that don't like us or the people we don't like, we're not to be anxious over those things. Remember, Jesus told us don't, don't be anxious. And He told us don't be anxious of your necessities, what you'll eat and where you'll live and what you'll wear. He said, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom. And Paul does a similar thing here. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that is supplication, be asking for things with thanksgiving, just thanking God for things. Let your requests be made known to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take everything to Him in prayer. And this is powerfully important. And this is common ground for us. Why? Because this is our common advocate, God. I will use that word advocate because that's what Jesus Christ is called as He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us in heaven. In other words, when we lift up prayers, He's at the right hand of the Father making the case for us. And anything we ask for in prayer, inherently and of ourselves, we don't deserve. But Jesus deserves it, for He was perfectly righteous. And because He deserves it, and He is our intercessor, and according to the Bible, we are in Him, His prayers are answered. 
And when we pray through him in his name, indeed, our prayers are answered. And that is the key. We have a common advocate at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ. God himself is our advocate. Now, understand it this way. The word advocate also has a legal meaning to it, and it would be a term like lawyer. And the problem is if you and I have something against one another and we're going to go to court and we go and we find out we have the same lawyer, maybe he could just work things out that we agree and this not have to go all the way to court. In other words, we have an advocate, we have a common advocate and he knows perfectly what is right. And he loves both of us. If we disagree in the Lord and we're both in Christ, he loves us both equally. But one of us is right, one of us is wrong, or both of us are wrong. Or both of us are partially right and really just wrong and that we're disagreeing. He's going to bring us together. And he is going to be both of our advocates together. And he is going to draw us closer to one another in a perfect resolution. Look at all the common ground that we have this common ground that we have, a common Lord, common fellowship, common labor. We have a common destiny, a common joy, and a common advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what do we conclude about this? Well, I want to take you uh, back to the scriptures, and I will take you to verse 7. Take a look at this. When we do these things, and that, that would be rejoicing and making everything known to God. Look at this. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see where there's conflict? There's a promise of peace in Jesus Christ. Where there's conflict, there's a promise that he is going to bring us together. And there is a a tremendous promise of peace. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Think about that for a moment a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. When you and I are at peace, we're watching each other's backs. We're not fighting one another. We're fighting a common enemy, the devil. We're fighting those spiritual things that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, and we have the full armor of God on, and we can fight back to back if we have to, but we are unified in this fight. And we have a common enemy. Our peace between us makes us stronger. If we begin to attack one another, we turn our back to the enemy and it makes us vulnerable. This is so powerfully important because many, many a church has fallen prey to the whims of the evil one and to the schemes of the evil one. They've fallen into temptation uh, not because he was able to overcome Jesus Christ, not because he was able to overcome the gospel, but because he was able to kind of wedge his foot in the door because there was a disunity. The peace guards our hearts in our minds. When we're at peace with one another and our peace is with God, we have a unified defense and we are guarded from the evil one. This is so important because his his schemes are so often to divide and conquer. 
The evil one loves to get a Christian by themselves. He loves disunity in the body. He loves to find some excuse. How many people have you found that that claim to know Christ but are not involved with the church because they they perceive that a church hurt them. Now, there's two things going on there. Uh, number one, they may have genuinely been hurt by a church. But number two, human beings by nature will generally grasp at any excuse to get out of church because we are in rebellion against God. And it is those who fall into a snare. It is those who get picked off the edges, led into some kind of a temptation. It would have been easily avoided if they were in regular fellowship with someone else. They fall into a temptation and their life becomes a ruin. Don't let that be you. Reconcile. Let the peace of God come in. Guard your hearts. Reconcile with those with whom you might have a conflict. And here's what I invite you to do today. Reconcile. That's number one most important thing. If there is anyone that has something against you, go to them and make it right. If you have something against someone else, go to them and make it right. And Jesus tells us we ought to go do this before we even worship. We ought to go and make things right between ourselves. And so do that, reconcile, and reconcile in fellowship. You may need to take someone else with you to reconcile, but make sure this is a believer in Jesus Christ, probably someone even more mature than you in your Christian walk so that they can counsel both parties wisely. Take an elder with you from your church or or someone that you trust or your pastor, but get reconciled however it has to happen do it. It is a priority. What at stake, what is at stake are lives here, eternal life because of our common labor in the gospel. And so indeed, reconcile with one another and do it in fellowship. And then let's take our time as a church. Let's rejoice more and let's pray more. Let's really enjoy the privileges of Christian life together in fellowship. Let us set aside our differences and join at the altar of praise and join in prayer together. And here's the thing about praying these things to the Lord. If you pray to the Lord for unity and reconciliation with a brother, how is he going to answer that? He cannot answer it, but yes. There are certain things that we know are so clearly the will of God. You remember Jesus said over and over, Ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. Well, he has a little qualifier in there. Ask whatsoever you will in my name. That means according to his will, according to his priorities, his purposes. And if you are asking him to help you love, to help you reconcile, to help you be unified with believers, he will answer that in the affirmative. I can't say it. I I, I just can't say it emphatically enough. He will answer that prayer. Yes. And so ask him, pray about these things and enlist the help of other believers. And you don't have to give them the gossip or the details or anything else. And you can be vague about it and say, I've got some disunity going on with another brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And it's not right. And I need to make it right. But first I need to pray and I need you to pray with me. 
and you pray to give me wisdom and insight, and you pray to make me humble and ready to repent if I've done anything wrong, and you pray for this other the same. And if that other is indeed a brother in Christ, guess what? The Lord's going to be working in them the same thing He's working in you when you pray about these things. And so indeed, it's a wonderful promise that you that you have in Christ. He will answer whatsoever you ask in His name, in the affirmative. And enjoy your life in Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that has been helpful. And I hope you understand this is what Jesus Christ died for. He died that we could be reconciled to God. And we cannot be reconciled to God without us being reconciled to one another. For God is not divided. He is a singular. And Jesus Christ stretched out his arms and died upon a cross that you and I can have peace together. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. A peace that will bring us together in the labor of Christ to his glory to spread the gospel around the world. Let's pray about this. Father God, we thank you today that you have given Jesus Christ and that he has provided for us a unity, a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, this day we pray that you'll help us to be unified. And for any that are listening or watching, Lord, I pray that if there's any conflict, that you will give them the faith to seek you about it, that you will give them the faith to respond to you appropriately in it, and that they will enlist the help of fellow believers to come alongside and restore unity. Lord, this is what you desire of your people. And I pray, Lord, now that this would be the case in, in my life and the lives of the people in our church, lives of all the fellowships of anyone who's watching. Lord, I pray that you'll just minister mightily to grant them this reconciliation. We praise you and we thank you for preserving this by your spirit, these individuals that had this conflict and you showed them how to repair it. And now you show us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thank you for joining us today and I pray that you found this helpful. And I want to encourage you to visit our website at whitesrun.org. There you'll find notes that will have hyperlinks to the scriptures where you can search the scriptures for yourself to see if what I've said is true. And I encourage you to do that. I truly do. And if you have any other questions, you can email us and I will re read the email and respond personally. Whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. Whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. I thank you for listening and may God richly bless you with the peace that surpasses all understanding.